Horror Riffs. Yo, 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 welcome to Gain It For Riffs, your podcasts for riff. For riff. Uh, for riffs. <laughs> one riff that you can uh, handle. Yeah. <laughs> your podcast for riff. If you can handle one riff at a time, this is the podcast for you. <laughs> yeah. So, as every week, this is uh, Ulle speaking and with me in Stockholm. Uh, who do we have there? But the informidable, the fantastic, the... Epic Jonathan Riffmeister Hedlin. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Good to be back again. Your Riff Boys back in the air as it should be. We usually record on Fridays, so it's always slightly celebratory feeling, I think, over in over in the studios here. Oh definitely. Uh, oh, definitely. Maybe not that we have the most normal office lives anyway, but still mm-hmm. Friday is always Friday. And I'm feeling good. I'm ready to to hit it again. Ready to rock it out. Uh, yeah, uh, how has the week been? That's, uh, that's a good question, actually. It is, it is. It's one of those good standard questions. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm preparing a little bit. I'm starting to, I'm going to have to study a little bit more this fall. I need to update my, my knowledge in trade. And in this case, it's a trade of uh, programming. So I'm, I'm trying to get my brain ready, mm. trying to um, move as much as I can. My body, that is, yeah. because the more my body yeah. moves, uh, the more ready my brain is. So, uh, yeah. th- so you're gonna program drums, <laughs> yeah, MIDI only, metal, MIDI. metal drums. Yeah, no, that I already know. Actually, um, that was kind of my <laughs> okay, uh, one of my earliest uh, things to get to know. I think many guitarists need this. Like, uh, if you want to get going with making songs, you have to figure out, okay, so mm. why does this snare sound so off? And like, okay, you can quantize yeah. it, and so on. I like programming drums, yeah. it's alright, but I always prefer playing with drummers. You know, you can't beat the real-time info that's coming out from from the drummer's brain. No, for sure. I was just like thinking the other day about this one time when I played drums, when it actually went pretty well. Um, we were in one of your many studios throughout the years. So it was one on Sveavägen, I believe, mm-hmm. yeah. in Stockholm. Uh, we had been out or kind of yeah, that's when I in, almost lost my job. Had, I addressed that before. Yeah, you almost yeah. lost your job that evening. That's another story. But uh, yeah. <laughs> we were in the basement uh, of this uh, yeah, very normal residential house, uh, kind of in a dark cavern. And uh, I was, uh, you know, inebriated, quite drunk. So I decided to sit behind the drum set. And I thought of actually, I played the best drums I ever had. And we were jamming. And uh, you were playing guitar, and we were both like screaming, (laughs) and the neighbor came down. Yeah, of course he did. (laughs) Was the first time I had met him, but I've heard I'd heard of him before. Let's say, and he always came down often with this dog, like uh, this kind of muscle dog, uh, if that's a word. I don't know, fighting dog, whatever, a muscle dog, and sometimes with Mm -hmm. this wrist training apparatus in his hand, and maybe a protein shake in the other. So I guess that was his armor. <laughs> he didn't go into battle armor, you know. I'm gonna show them that I got super strong wrists, fighting dogs, and protein shakes. So no one can argue with me. Yeah, I mean, he didn't come down to uh, to praise us and our uh, heavy yeah, riffing, it was beautiful or, riffing, or tight drumming, really. But he was really upset. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if you're renting out a space for metal bands in the basement, what do you expect? Yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah, I guess. You know, I guess he was part of the not of the board. Maybe you know they all kind of, I guess, have some say in it. So maybe he was the mm. only guy in the in that block against it. Who knows? Maybe everyone else was like, uh, I don't know what you would call that, um, sponsor of fine culture, <laughs> riff sponsors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, riff sponsors. Yeah. yeah, man, riff sponsoring. That's uh, mm, that would be nice. Should be, for done, this more product, think. Should be done more often. Uh, but to get that, we have to riff as well. So why don't I just start off the week's first riff? Yeah, let's do that. All right. If you heard it. Thank you. 
right. This is, um, <laughs> we're heading to New Orleans, Louisiana, mm. and uh, from an album by the same name, N-O-L-A, by a band, also four letters, Down. And uh, it's the song is, uh, they sometimes float together for me, even though I've listened so much to this album, but uh, possibly it's Lifer or uh, maybe... Uh, it's not Bury Me in Smoke. Uh, it's not Temptations no, Wing. No, 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 no. Or, yeah. I mean, no, they, no, they no. somehow flow together. It's my favorite riff of the album. Is it Rehab? Uh, yes, yeah, rehab. rehab. Exactly. So, Down, Rehab. Ooh, that's a good song. And I'm uh, just going to quickly say here that this almost turned into the first episode when we picked the same band. <laughs> I was so close to going for <laughs> Temptations Wing today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was my second choice. I was At the last minute, I... Sh- I realized, okay, I'm going to have to tune down, and I don't want to do that because Ole is already waiting. So it was that close yeah. to us picking the same band. Oh, wow, wow. And when I heard okay. your sound check, I thought, it's going to be down. I heard it in the sound. <laughs> and that's props <laughs> yeah, to you, man. That's props to you for, for, for getting the right sound, because this is the down sound you, that mm. you're playing with. So I, I could... I yeah, could so I, I think... I don't know exactly where Phil, Phil Anselmo... Uh, got the name down, but it could be that they are down-tuned... <laughs> yeah, or maybe down on their luck, uh, or uh, one and a half steps yeah. to um, yeah, what do you say? C sharp. Uh, C sharp. Sometimes drop B as well. Yeah. yeah. So just like uh, Black Sabbath mm-hmm. they used to uh, tune down their guitars for like, for like uh, one album. So did Down, this fantastic supergroup that formed uh, in the early nineties, uh, formed as a very like uh, uh, finished. It was already like an idea. That popped into Phil Anselmo of Pantera, yeah. the singer, of course, uh, into his head that, yeah, I will have a supergroup. Uh, we will tune down the guitars. Uh, this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy is going to be in the band. Uh, I'm going to write the lyrics and I let them do all the riffs. I want to have uh, like dual leads. I want to have uh, all these things. And I want to have lyrics about uh, how I'm feeling and about smoking weed. And they did exactly that. I mean, his planning, uh, I mean, say what you want about Phil Anselmo, but he can deliver, you know, albums, uh, projects, you know, like always on time and so much. But this was maybe his first, um, this was really his first uh, attempt. And I think it's definitely his best. I mean, they didn't get better than this record. And for me, it's his best uh, project, maybe apart from Pantera then. But uh, Down, Nola, what an amazing album. Yeah, I was going to say about the name, Down. It's like a quite typical 90s name. Mm. You know, you'd have bands called Down, Head, Nail, Bolt, whatever, you know, (laughs) like uh, these quick short names. But this one I like. And I think it's because it works on, on quite a few levels, as you addressed, they tune down. Uh, maybe the mood is down for the day because you're hangover, or maybe you're just down in the couch because you smoked so much much weed. Mm. And, you know, it's just down, you know, and his voice is down in the register, right? His speaking voice is lower than his singing voice. Yeah. It always puzzles me because he can sing quite high. And then he's speaking, and, you know, while failing, I've imitated him a few times in this show already. Yeah. I like to try and speak like, like Phil Anselmo does, it's really hard. You know, it's way down here. <laughs> yeah. uh, we also were all like, Pepper Keen enjoyed the band. Well, it's that low, it's that low. If we com- could combine that pitch with my distortion, then we would have it, dear listener. Yeah, continue, continue on. I'm happy you shoes down, that's it. I'm a little bit excited. Yeah, nice. Uh, maybe let's introduce the band. Uh, of course, Phil Anselmo on vocals. And then uh, Riff Guitar 1, we have Pepper Keenan from Croatian of Conformity. Uh, another band that I will definitely have to return to. Um... And I was really excited when I discovered Down and that Pepper Keenan was playing guitar because I really loved COC. And uh, I was like, okay, this has to be good. And um, then on Riff Guitar 2, we have Kirk Winstein um, from Crowbar. Uh, this amazingly big guy with a big, long, white beard that, uh, yeah, he plays in a very super heavy band. Uh, Crowbar, which has this uh, song that I, f- I think we referenced, Planets Collide. Uh, this, and to- yeah, we did. Yeah. Great song. And so together, these two, uh, they shared the riff duties, and uh, I think they written, yeah, I mean, I would guess 50-50, although I think that Pepper maybe wrote more, because the riffs are more towards what uh, COC 
is playing than Crowbar, I would say. Um, yeah. And then... Did you see their... Oh, continue. I, I'm <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, go, go. Yeah, what? no, I just... Did you see that the, they did like a... Well, what must it have been 25 or at least 20 years anniversary? 25, I think, yeah. years anniversary for this album uh, just the other day. Yes, I saw... Maybe you saw it too. And I noticed that Pepper plays a lot of lead guitar. Yeah. He's like the lead guitarist in the band, even though they're both riff guitars, obviously. Yeah. It's a riff, riff band, but... And it was such a good performance too. And Phil Anselmo, yep. he's, he gets really like, he becomes an emotional guy when he's doing less drugs and drinking. <laughs> you know, he becomes more emotional. I think that's his true self. Yeah. And uh, you could see in this video that he really missed the fans when he talked about Europe in the summer. And then Kirk chimes in like, it's weird, man. We're not in Europe. It's midsummer. We're not in Europe. That's strange. We're always in Europe at this time. <laughs> yeah, it says, this is for the people in uh, Japan. <laughs> Let's go. This yeah, yeah, yeah. Japan. People in Japan. Yeah, but I was so serious when it I was it. gonna get to that uh, live stream. I think it was maybe the best live stream uh, any band has uh, done this during the pandemic. It was great, and it Super started fat. off with interviews and like fan, uh, <laughs> some silly yeah. fan uh, videos, and it, weirdly enough. Uh, stu really stupid sketches that were were kind of nice because they were so extremely bad. <laughs> but the, no, the I had to move ahead. I wanted to hear the music. Yeah, but the music, live performance music, music. and the you, sound mix. Props to that sound guy, whoever that was, because it's not easy to mix uh, a, a, like um, a live show without an audience yeah. because you, you it's too clear. You you get the mics too close with too little interference mm. of crowd noise, and and you're probably in a smaller room at that. Yeah. So it's quite hard to make it sound cool. Moustache from, from our country did quite a few good performances, but they always had this sound of uh, reminding me of when I record my band in the rehearsal space. Like yeah. a bit too direct, a bit too dry. And the sound in this down um, video was woof, stellar. So good. It, was I have like to it could have been released. I have to say, yeah, definitely. I have to say that um, the, um, the singing was really good. I mean, it was almost... Mm -hmm. as good as on the record I, and that's like phil anselmo 2020 i didn't expect yeah. him to be that good it was, yeah, it was without, re without retakes no retakes at that yeah in the studio he could you know do it over and over yeah. obviously i was uh, super good uh, so yeah folks yeah, made me happy made me happy i think <laughs> i'm still excited about that that's why i'm glad you picked the record. yeah maybe not super yeah, surprised yeah. but still um, good choice Okay, so so uh, yeah, if you want to see something good, just uh, Google uh, their 25th anniversary video live stream. Um, but yeah, to um, the rest of the bands, uh, we also have uh, on the first iteration we have Todd Strange on bass. He was also in Crowbar, and Jimmy Bauer on drums, uh, who played in a band called I Hate God. And I think his drumming is the key also to how groovy this band is. Uh, because he has a, it's a certain style that um, uh, I don't know if it really comes across in in his original his OG band, but in Down it really works so good. Yeah, so Down, of course, they were assembled by uh, Phil Anselmo for a specific task of making the music he had in his head, and uh, they started jamming. Uh, a couple of times and uh, every time they jammed they recorded and they recorded small um, like four tracks and uh, uh, three songs at a time and uh, they had them uh, they had them on tapes they put them on cassettes and uh, uh, Phil and Pepper were really into tape trading in the early 90s so they started trading these mm -hmm. um, their own music but they didn't tell anyone that they, it was them or who was in the band so they played it for all kinds of people and and like yeah in the in the music uh, biz and they were like yeah wow this is amazing what is this I had some bands we just I just traded this so it got this bus and no one was really sure who was in the band uh, I mean they must have heard that it was Phil singing um, yeah. yeah sure but maybe yeah maybe, or at least someone sounding like Phil yeah but you could be a bit unsure because you know it's more soulful maybe than uh, and. Uh, yeah, more towards yeah, his yeah. Uh, um, well, his own voice, I would say, uh, than Pantera, especially yeah. what they were doing at the time. You can hear this music in Pantera, um, like there is a common mm. common ground. You, yeah, sure, this, for sure. This, if you had this circular diagram and you put out down and Pantera, there'd be a part of the circle that touches 
for sure. Mm. But I think uh, it's very much a um, berättigat uh, English mm. English words coming in. Uh, <laughs> berättigat. Vad fan heter berättigat? <laughs> justifiable. Justifiable. It's definitely a justifiable project in the sense oh, that yeah, it's while while having a common ground with Pantera, it's still completely different direction and as you say, more soulful and um, definitely something that we all wanted to hear. Yeah, I think. And when when you when you hear about this project, which we did a decade later, maybe a decade later mm. after the release or so, uh, it's still like yeah, that totally makes sense. Phil and Selma doing a little bit more of the stoner style with metal and with soul and with a bit more of the maybe New Orleans rather than Texas. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, there, there is this uh, very cute uh, uh, video from uh, one of the first gigs, and uh, it's also really good. But it's '95 in in Texas. They're playing in Dallas, and uh, he's expecting um, uh, Dimebag and Vinnie Paul from Pantera to be there and like uh, cheer him on. And he doesn't. He don't. He doesn't see them in the audience and he gets a bit bummed out because like, I thought my friends would be here and yeah and then some roadie comes in and whispers like yeah they're in the back he's like oh, you're in the back and then uh, <laughs> Vinnie Paul is on the uh, on the mic from the control uh, the mon- monitor monitor control him like yeah we're here man so, oh man nice to see you so, you, you brought some whiskey <laughs> yeah hell yeah <laughs> get super excited and <laughs> Dimebag and Vinnie Paul runs up on stage and uh, hugs uh, the band and talks to them and it's like, uh, but in between while they're playing songs, it's really like uh, uh, really keeping the momentum. It's really like wow, what an, what um, what a thing to see. Yeah. Always also knowing what happened with Pantera, how it kind of all went to shit. Um, yeah, yeah, mainly uh, sadly, mainly feels fault. I would say at that time. Yeah, I'm sure they would have gone better again. Yeah, they would have a good relationship if it, if everyone was still alive. I yeah, think. yeah. Now, Probably nowadays, because yeah, I, I feel like yeah. getting his shit together. Basically, just feel getting his shit together, getting his act together. That would have worked. I think they would mm. have all been friends again. Yeah, at least in my mind. Yeah, no, but when you see that video, there is like love going on. You know, so they were friends. But yeah, I mean, the, that's, that's Pantera. Uh, but it's just nice. Uh, <laughs> I think that. Yeah. It, Phil is very proud, and he wants to show his friends uh, what he uh, what he created. Yeah. And uh, yeah, about that, I wanted to play another riff, and you, you mentioned it before, but uh, yeah, here we go. Mm-hmm. Lifer also I'm staring right back at myself <laughs> and it's twisted image. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's it, very good. I think he, he sings so good over the riffs. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he bases the vocals often on the riffs, but it's also like it's really like flowing, very like, uh, you know, it's like he's lying in a pool made of riffs and it's just like floating yeah. on top of them in a very nice way, very relaxed, I must say. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's very cool and it's very inspired by his his uh, local grounds. I would say mm. that this is not a typical metal type of singing, even though it's maybe a metal timbre or a metal voice. He's a metal or a hard rock singer, but the way, as you say, the way he bounces off the riffs and the way he writes in this song uh, uh, was lifer, was it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Both the verse and the chorus is perfect. Um, so when I hear the verse, I only hear that melody in my mind, mm. and I forget about the chorus. And when I hear the chorus, I only hear that melody in my mind and I forget about the verse. <laughs> so it's really hard for me to get sick of this song because I'm so in every single part of it in terms of how it's just 
kind of perfect. Yeah. Kind of perfect riff rock. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah Melodies just sit so well with the riffs. They just sit so well. That's my point, I guess. Mm. That you can't make it more, you can't make it more a unit than this. No. And uh, uh, it, it, there is, um, I think the, you have to say that the album is really riff based. It's like, if you think about <laughs> riff <laughs> riffs i yeah, immediately I mean, go for for this album like and uh, yeah i think that uh, yeah rehab for instance it was one of the um, one of the riffs i have the most fun with playing and now i, I went for this uh, episode i went back and really like looked at it and learned it prof properly but it's really nice to play <laughs> Then the, the the lyrics head burning drunk. <laughs> I don't need that matter that I didn't. Now I don't know the lyrics really because he's singing so soulful in that one <laughs> that you don't really, really know. Yeah, I always thought he said everybody drunk. Everybody drunk. <laughs> I thought that until now. Uh, no, but the lyrics are in I think are um interesting. And it's it's also it's important it starts with this vocal um Long day lay me low. You know, and it also ends on the yeah. same uh, long day lay me low. Um, yeah. Low down. Down, yeah. But uh, no, it's really like he's, yeah, I mean, he, often in, in the songs he describes uh, his, uh, you know, his state of mind, but also like his abuse and uh, where he thinks he will end up. Like in this song, he describes lying in a box of pine, and um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's uh, quite sad. The lyrics. I, I saw some other videos with uh, Phil when he describes a day uh, when he was on heroin back in the. I don't know. Like he he's gone back and forth. It's very hard. Yeah, and, yeah uh, definitely during this period he was uh, at least meddling with it, I would say. Yeah, and I, I think it, it was a bit um, hard for him, especially because it was like his abuse was so in the public eye that even like when he was in interviews with MTV, they like this, you know, flashy in, uh, reporter was like, yeah, so Phil, how, how has it been? Has it been hard the last few days? I heard uh, you went through something. And he's like, yeah, I died. You know, he had an o he OD'd <laughs> and he was dead and revived. And it's so like yeah. such a weird um, the contrast between this uh, this journalist and then Dimebag is sitting next to him and like really fucking sad about the whole situation. And uh, yeah, I mean, mm. Phil is being serious, but it's also like it's not it's not it's not an easy forum to be serious like on MTV and then they're no. new. And they're I think too many rock stars have claimed to have been dying and coming back again mm. and i'm not falsifying this in the case of phil anselmo but i think a few of these cases are messiah complex mm -hmm. type cases yeah dave mustaine claims he died and came back mm. i love him but i think i might gonna call i'm gonna call bullshit on that one um, nikki six claimed he died and came back i hate him and i'm gonna claim bullshit on that <laughs> as well so yeah i think a lot of these they have a bit messiah complex mm. and it makes sense if you stand on stage in front of thousands and thousands of screaming fans then you could see yourself dying and coming back you know, probably you, you were just out of it, you know. Mm. But uh, maybe maybe Phil died and came back. Maybe his heart stopped. I don't know. Heroin works in mysterious ways, I guess. I know very little, thankfully, about that drug. Yeah. Uh, no, but in, in, anyway, I mean, that was the, the story that media wanted to uh, tell. And uh, and it was amidst, like, in, the, in this uh, um, <laughs> forum that is MTV Headbangers Ball, and it's not really the right forum, but I yeah. saw some videos of Feel like uh, telling of a day in the life of a heroin addict and like how he's just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it didn't seem that much fun. And it, but it was really in um, 
more. I mean, it's probably super nice for for about five ten minutes per day. Yeah, but he, he went through like eight bags in one and a half days and nodded off, mm, smoked, yeah. didn't do anything, and then yeah, it yeah. just yeah, it didn't sound. Uh, as as a beginner's guess, I would think that maybe let's say tops five percent of your live of your living is is great, and then the rest is probably making up for those mm. top five percent of your time that are great. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, me guessing. but I think what you said before that you, you noticed that he was doing pretty good in this live stream and that it was just uh, taking it yeah, surely, surely. really uh, taking care of the of the vocals, getting them right, and I think he realized also mm-hmm. like in that setting with no audience that it just would sound absolutely terrible if he didn't have uh, it was yeah. was at a hundred percent. It's tough, man. It's hard because when you add this uh, natural distortion and richness of um, overtones into your voice if you sing the least bit off it's gonna multiply kind of you know because if you sing off and you're a jazz singer or smooth singer you can kind of segue mm-hmm. out of it but if you have a like ton of overnotes overtones on it it's like a distorted guitar that is out of tune usually sounds even more out of tune than a clean guitar out of tune yeah most most people have noticed and it's because of all these overnotes overtones because your un, unpitchiness is going to multiply and come back at you in every overtone. So, yeah. Long explanation why he has to sing very clean when he sings live. Yeah. Pitch very well. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to sound like shit. I remember, I, uh, yeah, I think there was maybe 15 years ago, I was watching this Japanese animation about uh, a rock band. And <laughs> it was like in the formation of this <laughs> rock band, they played some kind of visual K Japanese uh, uh, pop yeah. from the 90s or 80s, which really just sounds like Ingvi Mamstein, uh, but pop. And <laughs> one of yeah. the ma- major, like, key elements of the drama was that uh, one of the guitarists he couldn't really play uh, the song that they were trying to learn, and yeah. he uh, <laughs> they were playing live, and he played one note in his solo wrong. And that was like, it's just yeah. like it, the time stops and everyone in the band turns around and looks yeah. at him. And he's like red in the face, like, oh no. And you can hear his mind, his thinking, you know, yeah, everything. Yeah. It's so important. It's so good. I remember this one. I remember this one. That's what happens in the head of a guitarist yeah. when he plays the wrong note. Mm. You know, that's like the, the innermost fear. <laughs> what happens in reality is that note is gone. It's in the past now. Exactly. You know? Unless you're being recorded onto YouTube. I heard a discussion about this yesterday. I don't remember where. Mm. I think it was, a, it was a singer and a good one at that. And he said, like, uh, yeah, the thing about having to sound perfectly pitched on stage is a bit annoying to me. It's not rock and roll to me. I think, you know, in, in, in the heydays of rock and roll, you could pass off with a couple of sour notes. Yeah. And it would not be recorded. It would not, you wouldn't be ridiculed over it. I'm trying to remember who said this because it was a respectable fella in the in the rock and roll community. But yeah, it might come back to me. But uh, anyway, I kind of agree with him a little bit there that um, uh, maybe with with everything being recorded, it's so so much focus on nailing it. But having yep. said that, Phil Anselmo rises up to the occasion. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's a lot about Phil Anselmo, but um, of course. But uh, I think band, Pepper Keenan needs three. some uh, recognition recognition here from right for writing this uh, riff. That's true. And uh, yeah, the, the riff is. I must say though, Phil is a guitarist as well. Yeah, he writes riffs. Too. Yes, must be noted. Yeah, definitely. He wrote um, was it Mouth for War or or a new level, which was like yeah, one of the, like that he really nailed in Pantera. Yeah. No, he's a good guitarist. He played in death metal band, mm. I think, um, called Necro something. Oh, yeah. uh, dirty guitar, but uh, yeah, enough about that, I guess. <laughs> Let's go back to Pepper Keenan, because I need to know more about Pepper Keenan. I know he's famous from uh, from uh, Corrosion and that he's a, a great guitarist. That's about as much as I know. Yeah, I mean, the, he's from New Orleans as well, and uh, Corrosion of Conformity, I think I will get back to them. I don't know, maybe even in the next episode, I really feel like <laughs> playing some of the riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, but they started very short. They started off as a hardcore band, uh, and then became more hardcore metal, and then introduced some more groovy, uh, swampy uh, grooves into their sound, more akin to maybe uh, other bands from the area. And uh, then they came out as a full-fledged, uh, like southern metal band. I would say really groovy, and um, yeah, they got some hits, but I mean, they didn't really like get big 
or anything. I mean, they're, they're respectable. You know, he, he can live on that band. Uh, although I think in later years, Down became bigger. Uh, and like how the... Probably, yeah how the fan base of down is just growing and especially based on nola um they made a follow-up album also in uh, 2002 a bustle in in your hedgerow uh which i really loved at the time but since like listening to it now um i don't find it so interesting but there is uh, there is actually a riff on that one that uh, maybe i should um play it hang on out the acoustic here. I don't know if you remember this this riff. Really nice. Mountains of Magido, the end um the last track on uh, the second Nola album, which is uh, oh, okay. very, uh, it, I think it's very nice. It's, it reminds me of Floods, which kind of builds up all the time, but it doesn't really end in a heavy riff or anything. So it's more like a, an extended sus chord, it feels like, you know, like a suspension of, uh, of drama. But it's really, um, it's really nice. It's uh, definitely my favorite song from that album. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it, no. It's interesting to talk about the the. Um, I think the most interesting in this case, in the case of rehab, is to talk about the two, uh, two guitar parts that is being played. So you have the riff of uh, uh, played mostly by uh, Pepper Keenan. and then it's both guitars. And then uh, yeah, this is the part of Kirk Winstein in the start. He's just holding the notes. So maybe I'll record um, record them together, and you can really hear the two parts how they create yeah. a mood. Uh, you know, you have um, you have the riff, and over that is the um, the note that Kirk holds. Uh, for the duration yeah. of the three bars and then they come together and it's really powerful a very different way of playing a pedal note than normally in our show or in any metal context normally you play the pedal note in between the the metal notes on the low string here you have the pedal laying over it mm -hmm. like if you play piano or something so it's a clever way to use two guitars and it immediately strikes me that probably phil had this in his mind because mm. he comes from a one guitar band exactly where they need nothing more than one guitar you never want to hear another guitarist in pantera <laughs> right so uh, so I think for him to kind of come from that and, and um, interpret uh, the idea of two guitars in a, such a good way, it's just proof that he's a musical guy, Yeah, I would say. Yeah. Like, he definitely has a musical mind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, and then, I mean, the, the influences in this song is also kind of uh, obvious. You have uh, the, la the later riff oh, Naomi, that comes in. Uh, maybe you can... Uh, say where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would just say Black Sabbath in general. Exactly. Like, this one, I don't have a, like, a, a, I don't have a blueprint for this exact riff. It's very heavy. Yeah. It almost sounds like other bands copied. Actually, a lot of other bands copied down as well. Mm. 
So you didn't, you know, the trade didn't stop at down. No, I think the, yeah, the f- but yeah, obviously there's so much in Iomi in it. It can't be denied. No, but I think they're fairly influential in uh, that field of this very, um, I kind of groovy metal uh, that came yep. out in the '90s. That is not uh, new metal, but it's more. Uh, yeah, but it's a band's akin to down. What what do we have? Uh, maybe Lamb of God. Uh, these bands that are, became much bigger. Gojira, maybe. Uh, I don't no, know these bands Gojira, so well. Not really from down, from from down. But uh, I think mainly like actually, not to be unfair or anything, but mainly shitty bands. Nickelback, maybe. <laughs> no, maybe more shitty bands, local shit bands that try to sound like down. Okay, know, because it's. It's it's a it's a sound you, that you like to lean back into, uh, yeah. but I'm not saying it's easy to to play on the level that Down does. But it's quite easy to start riffing in this sense, mm-hmm. and you know I think they influenced a lot of crappy local bands yeah, for sure. Uh, but, but but I'm not saying that to put uh, put down them or uh, not even the bands actually. But I work with a lot of uh, you know C grade stoner bands mm-hmm. when I when I did Front of House, so I've heard these Down riffs over and over again. Yeah, interpreted by many bands, and um, yeah. I mean, uh, I probably took a riff or two as well <laughs> down over the years. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? Why no, wouldn't why you? Wouldn't nice you? Why wouldn't you? It's, it's, it's great riffs. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think it's it's uh, it's such a nice set of riffs. Also, you know, it's not um, really uh, like throughout the record. It just it's um, it takes on different forms of uh, like within a very narrow. Uh, narrow musical genre that they're in, uh, they ha- they pull almost everything that that genre has. I mean, uh, that this kind of music has to offer. Uh, I think that's also why it didn't really survive for more albums. You know, they made like four four albums. Uh, or yeah, they... yeah. And I have to be honest and say I'm stuck on the first one. Yeah, no, but why why not? I've I've owned it for quite some time, and I see no reason going any further. I've seen them live. Yeah, I'm happy about mm. that. One or two times, at least, at least one where, that I remember very well, and it might have been a second one too. At that, both great actually. That was when Phil was starting to pull himself up again. He even had the mohawk from <laughs> from the Cowboys days. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Had <laughs> <laughs> that gig, yeah, for some reason, maybe to to seem young or something. Mm. But anyway, sounded great, and in those contexts, I I liked all the songs, of course. You know, that what that made up the set, but it was predominantly songs of Nola. And uh, as far as listening to records, I've never even tried the other ones. Not really, actually. I've heard like New Orleans is a dying whore. Uh, yeah. A couple of tunes. Yeah. Uh, Diary of a Mad Band, uh, live, the live thing I've seen. Yeah. So yeah, first album rules. That's how it is <laughs> with this band. No, but I think, I think it really it, the first album came out when I was forming my metal opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, no, yes, and then the second when I was really like okay looking for stuff and uh, the second one hit me really hard I was listening a lot to it uh, when it came out but now yeah it's more no let's the shit and I think that their their um, fans probably agree and that they play live they play mostly Nola related stuff yeah yeah um, for sure yeah I mean that's maybe. Um, everything there is to say there i would just like to play a little bit from uh, stone the crow which i think it's a fantastic riff also yeah on the album Let's beautiful song beautiful that. song <laughs> great song it's a great riff <laughs> yeah. yeah that's it that's it for me that's it for down yeah and the thing is the riff i actually picked today is gonna pick up nicely from this mm. it's related somehow or actually it's completely related in a way that maybe most people don't know but uh, i've heard this this riff performed by pantera and uh, with phil uh, even though he wasn't really singing the song on top of it he was just uh, screaming smoke weed <laughs> On top of this riff, <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah, that makes sense, right? In the in the context of down, and and the, the riff is not really that hard to recognize either. It goes like this. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, Purple Haze. Purple Haze. Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Nice. And that ended a uh, Pantera 92 gig, actually. <laughs> they jammed that at the end, and Phil Anselmo was just standing and growling on top of it. <laughs> Smoke weed! <laughs> <laughs> and whoever, whoever edited the bootleg video put, like, tons of falling green leaves on top of the screen. Okay. And it was just absolute white trash kitsch. <laughs> uh, I loved it. <laughs> so that's my memory to this riff, and now it's done. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, from 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 Jim Hendrix's album uh, "Are You Experienced?" His first album. Oh yeah, '67, uh, I think. Um, now, as, as usual, I'm not with any facts in front of me. I didn't do any research, uh, but '67. Uh, <laughs> are you experienced? Then uh, <laughs> it kind of puts everything on me. <laughs> Why would I need research for this? It's no. Jim Hendrix's first album. Uh, Noel Redding and uh, Mitch Mitchell on the bass and drums, and uh, just. Uh, a classic. I mean, it's a riff that's been laying about for Gain for Riffs for quite a while because it has a lot of the tropes in it, but also it pushes the envelope more than quite a few riffs of today. Yeah, I thought about this riff as well. Uh, mainly I thought, like, who would pick it first? Like, who would dare to venture into yeah. Hendrix territory? Because, I mean, yeah, then sure. the purists come out of the closet also. Like, so listening to every <laughs> note you play, every double stop... Uh, <laughs> Every, for sure, uh, yeah. you know, like, uh, ooh, and then, yeah, and is he playing that on a strat? Mm, no, I don't think so. It's like, mm, okay, <laughs> where does he have the which uh, yeah, pickup yeah, is he yeah. using? Blah sure, blah blah sure, blah blah sure. blah. I mean, it's such a true, true. Uh, I think in a way, okay, this is just a very personal um, musing or idea that Jimi Hendrix is like maybe the guitarist that is. Um, uh, that has been uh, hijacked by uh, like these hi-fi nerds and uh, mm. really like a purists, guitar purists, like that know uh, when every guitar was made, you know, the f what factory made uh, and like what wood yeah. it's made of, which forest that was deforested for making the mahogany neck, you know, like all these things, they kind of boil yeah. down, unfortunately, to Jimi Hendrix. Um, yeah, but for maybe for good reasons. But you know, like the what happened afterwards is maybe uh, not so fun. Uh, but yeah, sorry. No, <laughs> your take. No, no, it's very good. Yeah, it's just an interesting starting point for this. And I think maybe, actually, I mean, I know that our listeners are mainly younger than us. Actually, they're uh, not not kids. Fourteen. They're about my age. <laughs> Fourteen. No, I think the biggest segment is twenty-eight to thirty-four, <laughs> and. Uh, they are a little bit too young to be these kind of hi-fi nerds. And then there's less and less. Uh, we do have up to 59 years old. So please do come in, you 60-plus out there. Mm. Join us. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, everyone <laughs> is welcome to listen, of course, including hi-fi nerds or whoever can hear that my guitar is made out of the wrong type of wood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't hear it. <laughs> but uh, I'm playing it on the middle position. Mm. It's kind of Hendrix-y position, but uh, one of the microphones is a humbucker and the other one is a... Uh, single coil so i'm already wrong there and uh, you know it's just got a playing style that can't be emulated but everyone kind of wants to emulate it yeah. at one point or another as a guitarist like oh, i want to try and sound like Jimi hendrix it's probably because it sounds so cool and in, the, in this riff you start off right off the bat with the it's uh, diabolus in musica but it's not even related to another tone it's only the tritone <laughs> so you know it's not yet a tritone uh, interval happening. It's only at note, so it could be the it could be the key of the song. No one knows at this point. Okay. Maybe the song is in uh, in B flat. Who knows? But then when it drops into the E, you realize okay that was the that was the tension. Mm. So he builds the tension without any reference. Uh, you know what's going on. Oh, yeah. And then drops into that uh, straight into that lick part. And that arguably like a so solo kind of thing, but it's very riffy, isn't it? I mean that uh, that kind of uh, you know that that the way he played guitar is like the basis of many riffs, I would say. You know, it's just like. Yeah. You know this this way that people didn't really play before him. Uh, yeah, 
Uh, very explorative in his times, yeah. And it's very close to what we heard with Down yeah. just now earlier in the episode, right? But, uh, and then after all that riffing, he goes into this funky thing. It's, it's already there. It's kind of inventive. I'm gonna. The first chord is, is worth plucking apart okay. because it's interesting in, in its components of that funk riff. It's not your average chord, is it? No. It's a funky chord. It's because it has both majors and minors. Mm-hmm. So you've got a major fourth in the beginning. Normal, normal um, major, and then uh, you get the uh, the seventh from from minor, and then you get the minor third in the top. So these are completely dissonant to each other. Yeah. Both those are in it, but in the context, it just sounds like you're h- hitting the streets, sunglasses <laughs> on, you know. <laughs> yeah. G major, A major, Dorian vibe, also uh, that you know I've been stuck on for, for weeks now. Yeah. And then this D major rounded out by octaves. How cool is that? That's very cool. Instead of playing like uh, you play much more psychedelic. Yeah. And then back to the lick. And that's basically the song. It's a jam, right? Yeah. What's your relationship with this song, or maybe Jimi Hendrix in general? Uh, I think I think for us, if you were since we're riff show, like I mentioned, maybe um, that it's so this song is so shock full of ideas that it took years for other guitarists just to uh, you know uh, they couldn't keep up, but it took them years to yeah. just like reach the same level, and not even then, you know, like you he he just did everything really, like he really used the guitar uh, he brought it to a whole new level uh, and mm-hmm. it, and i mean yeah. now and every single effect sorry I continue now no i, I mean he brought, now. he brought it to a whole new, new level without even being a uh, virtuoso you know like just being full of feeling yeah. and um, express uh, self expression i mean expressing himself through guitar but then he also has like a beautiful singing voice and really smart arranging skills, you know, like really dictating the rest of the band. Uh, you know, <laughs> he, he taught the, uh, the yeah. bassist how to play bass, right? Uh, yeah, pretty when they much, were... pretty much. And I mean, I'm, my favorite songs of his are not these rockers. I picked this one because I can play it uh, fairly okay. Yeah. But, I mean, Little Little Wing, Castles Made of Sand, uh, Six Was Nine, uh, That kind, those kind of songs are my favorites of his when he's... But they are very much based on his singing and also his incredible rhythm guitar player. He's more of a rhythm guitar player than a lead guitar player. Yeah, he's, he's cool leads and like experimentations with sound. Of course, you know he used every single pedal available at the time, <laughs> which were like four. <laughs> you know, there were maximum four of them available at the mm. time. It was this kind of octafuzz, I do believe octafuzz wah, of course, and uh, maybe one or two more things. Like it wasn't a lot available, and he used with what little he had. He used came up with the weirdest noises he possibly could. Kind of in a, in a way like Tom Morello did. Tom Morello didn't use a lot of pedals either. So, mm. I mean, obviously Tom, Tom has shit tons of Jimi Hendrix in him, mm. maybe more Hendrix than anything else. Yeah. Now that I think of it, <laughs> in, the way he, in the way he plays. Even though he was a metal kid, you know, in the 80s. I think there's so much Hendrix running through him in the way he plays guitar. Mm. And Jimi Hendrix would have been a great guitarist in Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, but that, <laughs> I, I think he, uh, it's, that, that that didn't happen uh, is probably a good thing. Um, yeah, but uh, who knows? Who knows? With, with these young deaths, you never know, right? No. This, everyone is sad that he died early. Of course, everyone is sad, but no one knows what would happen later. I have a take on it. You think about him or Kurt Cobain or somebody, you think how oh, they would make it is, you know, nesters of rock or something. And then, but then you, if you fo- if you're like um, 
focus on the the stars or the the rockers that are still alive. Like in the <laughs> you see Ozzy Osbourne in front of you, like sitting with Sharon. Surely, <laughs> it's just like surely you oof. do. But I mean, I <laughs> I make a little like. You know, this is guessing, obviously. This is guessing. But I think that Jimi Hendrix would have been more interesting today than Kurt Cobain. Mm. Or a better example, actually. Let's leave Kurt out of this because I'm, I don't like Nirvana, so I'm not going to smudge mm. his memory there. Let's take two guys I really dig. All right? Mm. Two guys. Mm. Two two Jims. Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix. Okay. I think Jim Morrison would have aged poorly. I think he would have made bad music. Mm. And I think he would have become like this sad, dancing type character. Okay. <laughs> I'm, no. I'm kind of exaggerating for effect now. Yeah. And I think Jimi Hendrix maybe would have retreated back, gotten synthesizers, you know, done completely different music, mm. kept experimenting. But that's me also a little bit maybe romanticizing who he was. But I just saw him more of like an experimental guy. He wasn't this rock star. He was this experimental yeah. guy. Of course, he's the biggest rock star ever. But, <laughs> you know, for me, it seems like he wanted to push the envelope. And I don't think he would have quit. But maybe the acid would have started working less, and that could have been an issue. Mm. Well, I mean, it's uh, yeah, anything could, of course, have happened. Game for riffs. And uh, Jimi Hendrix, of course, also is like you, you've addressed before. You t- you asked about acid rock and how that genre came to be, and Jimi Hendrix was a huge consumer of LSD. There is no no joke about that, uh, or rather, that's no joke. And uh, same with, actually, with the Beatles when they got into their experimental phase. You know, late 60s, it was kind of hay- going haywire with all that stuff. And some more than others. Uh, Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. I mentioned, they were wild. And Santana was not, actually. Santana was fooled by, by Grateful Dead into taking acid before hitting the stage in Woodstock. And he was absolutely panicking on stage. And it's filmed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about Woodstock uh, to bring it up because, it, yeah... It, when you talk Hendrix, you talk Woodstock, and you talk his uh, rendition of uh, the Star Spangled Banner, um, and uh, how it, it is really like uh, uh, subversive in a way, like what he did um, to take this song that you know it's uh, illegal to um, to make, or yeah, highly uh, unusual at least. I think I think it might be illegal to. Uh, to change it too much and really like, uh, yeah, or destroy it or uh, uh, be <laughs> treated in a heretics way, you know, but like he did, he plays it with uh, extreme uh, distortion. And um, yeah. how was it? Apparently it wasn't really like this. That wasn't his intention, right? Um, oh, I don't know. Actually, I haven't seen any interview about that, but uh, I mean, it's played, it's not played to be defaced, I think, but it's played very, loosely <laughs> very wildly you know he's really searching for the notes it leads my thoughts to uh, richie blackmore again when he talked about guitarists that are too good in his opinion like uh, he was referring to joe satriani among others and he said mm-hmm. that these guys are never searching for notes and in his tradition of of lead guitar playing which was to a large extent Jimi hendrix he worshipped Jimi hendrix mm-hmm. and uh, to a large extent he was into the idea of searching for the note like a singer you know like an ad-libbing singer rather than you know, knowing the note and just hitting it perfectly on time and in pitch. So I think that's what hap- what's happening in, in Star Spangled Banner, that he's just out there ser- searching for notes, playing off the cuff. Yeah, so uh, actually three, he was uh, criticized by um, uh, like yeah, journalists and politicians, but then three weeks later he said, uh, no, it wasn't really my intention to do a statement against the Vietnam War. Uh, it was more like we're all Americans. It was like go America. <laughs> we, yeah. we play it the way the yeah. air is in America today. The air is slightly static. See, cool. I think that's it's cool. cool. I haven't heard this. That's pretty cool. Uh, only from hearing him playing it, that's how I thought he he would he was saying this. Yeah, as you say, it's very cool and mm. it makes sense. It's not a mocking or a defacement of of the melody, really. No, it's more that he's he's just yeah. What did you say? Static in the wind. Yeah, no. The, the air is slightly static. I mean, he's describing a. A uh, situation that's very similar to uh, to today, with a lot of uh, demonstrations and uh, yeah, mm. police brutality, and uh, yeah, it's yeah. quite quite similar. And uh, I think I think Fun. he what he has in his guitar playing is the ability to um, form, take emotion and take uh, you know uh, make 
uh, abstract concept physical through sound through his guitar i mean that's sure. not sure. many people not many guitarists that i know of has that ability and also no. and i think by being just no precise very precise uh and also put in the time where he made the most sense you know it's like just a, a perfect storm of all his ability that he really practiced he really practiced his guitar he wasn't like a natural born talent he was playing all the time and um and how that just uh he just timed it perfectly he, he was lucky in being uh being in that era and that time and it was really like where you need where everyone needed him and uh, yeah, the, it's. Uh, I, I think that's one of the most important things about his guitar playing. Exactly what I think. Uh, what I think Richie Blackmore was alluding to, because he Richie was like he's put in this shredder category, right? Because he can shred, but he was talking about trying to not. You're not thinking of which fret you're on. I don't think Jim Hendrix is thinking. Okay, ninth fret, twelfth fret, uh, A note, B note. He's just singing through the guitar. And that includes some kind of, mm. you know, abstract note choices or... And that's also not in a manner of, I'm going to play an abstract note to be a weird weirdo or to, to be art rock. It's just completely searching and you, you're like invited as a real-time listener in his search for the notes. Mm. And I think that's what Richie was missing with a lot of more modern guitarists in the 90s when he was said, saying this. And I, I kind of agree with him. I, I, like, the, I like the searching nature of, of, uh, of uh, guitar playing. It really fits well in in a rock context, especially in a trio, because they were a power trio. So you don't really have to stay yeah. on paper when you play that kind of music. You can stretch the songs. You can play for ten minutes. You know, you don't have to ask the band before. Oh, can we do a fifteen minute version of that one? You don't have to ask it. <laughs> yeah. you know, just go up and do it. And uh, that was very much the spirit of those times. And I mean, I don't want everyone to play like that. I do like well rehearsed shows as well. But um, yeah, it kind of it, it's somehow it strikes some kind of nerve with me. I guess I like that that um, uh, experimental power rock trio type deal. It attracts me to to his music more than him being a being a shredder. Yeah. Um, there's also this funny uh, <laughs> this anecdote that our parents' generation they they always say it, uh, that they were they were at Grana Lund in Stockholm when. Jim Hendrix played. I mean, if you're born in the 40s, 50s, maybe you you always say that you were there because it was like this gig that no, it was so famous. It was filmed. It's still on on camera. Yeah, and and they and uh, in the end they the authorities pulled the plug. Yeah, they they pulled the plug because yeah, they, I mean it's so stupid and they let they uh, take him out in handcuffs for some. I think there was a some drug issue, right? Or not because the music was too loud. That's impossible. <laughs> Well, that's Sweden for you, though. That's Sweden. It happens over and over again. It, the same thing happened with Snoop Dogg later. ASAP Rocky. Every every guy that comes here with yeah. an American state of mind, they get arrested. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah, come it, here it, and you it, keep it, an American state of mind, Sweden is going to be like, we work differently over here. Here we don't tolerate you rock star to do whatever you want to do. This is Sweden. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and I'm not saying who's right or wrong here. That's just how it's been. Don't play too loud. For riffs. Yeah, no, no I, want, I wanted to kind of uh, maybe th this this could be fun. Like if you uh, uh, maybe it wouldn't change so much, but if you would play my riff of today, or maybe uh, yeah, if you would play that as Jimi Hendrix, what would you change? Uh, something like. No, that was fake. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was good. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, my final suggestion is something like. Not too far off, right? Kind of in between. No, that's that's nice. Can you play it again? Yeah, sure. Right. 
too far of each other yeah this kind of works yeah it kind of works of course it's a bit higher now in, in register i think also actually Jim hendrix tuned down half a step i'm in e now in the standard but i think he tuned mm. down so he mm. was we discussed that before who was first with that and i think it happened very early on actually like some guys just found yeah. that you could make the guitar sound slightly heavier by dropping a half a step yeah, I mean, so mm. there's a lot of stories on Jimi Hendrix, obviously, right? So I, f- I felt like that's why I cut out that I didn't do any research because even if I had did, it's not time to tell all the all the side stories. And everyone has enough personal stories about this guy. I even did. <laughs> I, I was even ordered for a gig yeah. once. It was in the in Eriksdal's Hallen here in south of Stockholm. I was ordered to play the national anthem Sweden in uh, in style of Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was paid. <laughs> Were you? I was paid fifty euros. Can you play it now? Shit, uh, if I can remember it, I do have a, like an old video recording I did, so I can put that on Instagram at least. But well, she's yeah. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I heard After Forever by Black Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, that's what I tried to do, actually. I tried to make it into a November riff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's and nice. And then I did another version of it where I added more minor, minor, uh, uh, no, I added more of this harmonic minor key just because i felt that that's more swedish really (laughs) like our national anthem is too pure for our dirty woods Mm -hmm. that we're actually from so i i kind of defaced it a little bit or whatever you would call that but uh, the idea came at first from like there was a swedish youth cup Uh, it's like swedish championship of youth in in swim jump whatever that's what what's that called (laughs) freestyle swimming (laughs) jump. i don't know i was paid 50 euros (laughs) to play for a minute that's what i remember and uh in style of Jimi Hendrix, I guess. Wonderful, wonderful. SM Simhop. Hey, average working Joe, you've been listening to uh, Gain It for Riffs, uh, recorded by these two free thinkers, uh, not working dudes. Uh, are we even wearing pants? I don't know at Who this knows? point. That's the beauty uh, of radio. Doesn't matter. But uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, I would like to hear your rendition of. Uh, this fantastic riff sure, one more sure. time it's if you please yeah, I would, I'm also going to say thank you for listening everybody uh, I've tried myself now to give five star reviews on Apple Podcast and it's fucking hard I don't know how to do it on other shows because I'm not a user of Apple Podcast but if you know how to give reviews on Apple Podcast <laughs> please give us a five star one but I realize it's, I can't find the function man I've been looking for it where the hell is it like I can read reviews but I can't put them there maybe you need like an Apple account you probably didn't count. <laughs> they want to tie you up somehow, right? Some crap like that. <laughs> yeah, you need you need an account. You scroll a bit down, and then you can put a five in. It's not that hard, but uh, yeah, depends on what phone you have. Mm, I guess. Okay, yeah, okay. It's hard. It's hard to demand. You demand to get an account. It's hard. Like everybody go and register on this multi yeah, big yeah, yeah. company that's gonna send you spam. Anyway, let's leave that and let's. <laughs> Tell your friends about the show. That's much nicer. Tell your friends. Tell your friends about the show. Whoever might be interested in the riff show, that there is a riff show. Simple as that. So I'm going to say thank you as well from us two to all of you and um, another run through of Purple Haze. So see you next week. See ya.